Good morning. Choir's full. It's nice and warm outside. Hey, at least it's not windy. Amen. I didn't get any amens on that one. Oh, so, well, good to have you today. Well, it was a long weekend, uh, primarily because uh, our children didn't have school on Friday. And so, of course, it was rainy and everything this weekend, so we didn't really able to do much or get out much. And so I told my wife, I said, Saturday night, 515, uh, you don't have to go with me, but we're, we're leaving the house. We're going out. Right? No children. So it could be me by myself or you or whoever, but we're going, right? And uh, not that she wasn't going to go. Was, I just said, we're leaving somewhere. Well, went to get some dinner last night with some friends, and, and we went to this restaurant we wanted to go to. And pulled up and uh, walked in, and they said, hour and a half wait. I'm thinking, good grief, I'm not going to do that. So got back in the car, drove to the next restaurant next to it, which didn't really want to go to, but it was good. And, and they said, uh, two-hour wait. And uh, no, no, that was an hour and a half as well. And uh, I said, yeah, we're not doing that. So we called another restaurant that was nearby, and they said, two to two-and-a-half-hour wait. You know, I'm thinking, man, it's only 3 p.m. No, it was later than that. But anyhow, it was dinner time, right? And uh, so then there was another restaurant down the road. I said, well, let me call them up. And I called them up. And, uh, and the, they said, we actually have call-ahead seating. I was like, oh, well, good. We're five minutes away. But, but I was like, well, great. And I uh, said, so well, how long is your wait? And they said, 45 minutes. I said, we'll take it. And, uh, and go ahead and put our name on the list. And they said, well, how long, well, what time will we expect you? I said, about five minutes because <laughs> we're right down the road. So we get there, and uh, five minutes later, and we check in, and they say, oh, we're only about a 25-minute wait. I'm like, wow, this is great. And it's gone all the way down to 25. Now, I don't know if it's because we called ahead or what. But we were on the list, and it was not that long of, of a wait. And then as we were sitting there for the 20, 25 minutes or so, other people were coming in who hadn't called ahead, and they were telling them 45 minutes, hour, or longer. And I just thought, man, it's really cool to have your name on the list somewhere. Don't have to wait as long, and you get a nice dinner. Today we're talking about uh, the end times a little bit, we're talking about when Christ comes back. And we're talking about, and Jesus talks about this multiple places. We're talking about how there will be a dinner one day in heaven. Actually, multiple dinners for eternity. And the only way you get access to that dinner is to have your name on the list. But it's not because of anything you've done. It's not because you called ahead or were nice or, you know, paid off the, uh, the host or anything like that. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. Today we're looking at Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 22. Luke says that he, being Jesus, went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. And you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God 
but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Father in heaven, as we look at this picture of heaven, it gives us the, the reality that not everyone will be saved. Lord, that should burden us. It should not make us prideful for those of us that are Christians. It should burden us to get the gospel to people who need to hear. And Lord, what they do with that is between them and you. But many people need to hear. Let us be a faithful church, Lord, that doesn't dilute your gospel, but that preaches your word, that sings your word, that, that prays for the salvation of others. Because if not for the grace of God, Lord, your grace, we would be in the same place. So, Father, we thank you for those of us in here that know you, that, that you've saved us, that we will recline at table one day, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Thank you for allowing us, Lord, to see that truth. For, for, for thanking, Thank Lord, for even uh, giving us the grace to believe. Our hearts are so stubborn. So, Lord, we thank you for that grace. And, Lord, I pray that you're with me this morning as I preach this message, that my words are yours, that you fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you three truths today that we see in this passage about salvation in Jesus Christ. Three truths that we see in this passage concerning salvation in Jesus Christ. Number one, the door is open. The door is open. Verse 22. <clears throat> Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Now, so Jesus is, is marching toward Jerusalem. These are his last days. He's on a mission to die. This is his mission. But many of his followers, many of his onlookers, were, were hoping that as he got to Jerusalem, that he would lead a revolt against Rome. That's what they wanted him, that he would overthrow Rome, that he would be the new king there in that, in that area, the king of the earth, if you will. And they were hoping that he and his band of zealots would, would overthrow that government and that he would take the throne and then his messianic kingdom would commence. So they're asking questions, natural questions, like who will be saved? And now this, this question, who will be saved, was a, was a constant debate among the Jews of the time. Well, who do you think will be saved? Well, will it be you or be he? What, what does it take to be saved? Even people ask Jesus that. What, what do I have to do to, to be saved? How does it work? And Jesus receives this question in verse 23. Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved to be few? Which is an interesting way of asking that question. Jesus, as usual, subverts the expectation of those asking the question. And the question is really like this. It's saying this. Just a few people who really love God will be saved, correct? Right? Just, just a few people who really love God, right? Just going to be Baptists in heaven, right? Amen? That's all, that's all it will be, right? Just the, the, just the few of us will be there, right, Lord? Just a few people who love God will be saved, correct? Now, interestingly enough, a person who asked this question 
or debates this question about who will be saved, they are always among the ones that are saved. There's no doubt that they will be saved in their own mind. That's never a debate. So Jesus kind of flips the script on this on this person and he destroys their sense of of security which really we know is false he says in verse 24 and he said to them strive to enter through the narrow door he doesn't say you're good don't worry about it you keep on living your life he says we don't know if this is a man or a woman it says someone he just says listen you have to work you have some work to do not what he expected to hear strive to enter the narrow door jesus tells the one asking the question that as of now you're on the outside so strive to enter the narrow door not what the questioner expected to hear jesus just who will be saved just a few of us right Jesus says, not you, (laughs) not you. One less more than you think, right? He says, you think you'll be saved? Better strive for the door. And the picture we see here painted is a door. And, And the door represents a natural break from this life to the next. Uh, a, a metaphorical door that separates these, these two lives. And he says, and the door that you're looking for is not what you think. It's, it's narrow. It's not this wide door. It's a narrow door. Can I have to kind of squeeze your way in? Striving has the idea of being intensely focused on getting to something. And that's what he's saying. You need to be intensely focused on getting to that door. It's narrow you need to, you need, your, your, your life focus, your life goal needs to be the narrow door. That needs to be your goal. As we'll see later in the passage, the door is open. It's interesting. It's, it's presently open. But that's the doorway you need to go through. It won't stay open forever. This is consistent with other sayings of Jesus. He says in John chapter 10, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them, talking about false prophets. He says in verse 9, I am the door. He says it twice in two verses. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So he's saying the door is Jesus. You have to enter by me. If you do, you are saved. So he says he's the shepherd, and he's the door that opens to the pasture of his sheep, that God's people listen to his voice, not false shepherds, not false teachers, because God's sheep know his voice. He says they will come in and they will find pasture, because only Jesus can open the door to his pasture. So the good news about salvation is that the door is open. It's open to anyone. All they have to do is call upon the name of Jesus, believe in him, and they can enter into that door. You don't have to call someone up. You don't have to put your name on a list. You don't have to hope you get in. You say, I know Jesus, and you come in the door. So that's, on one hand, it seems easy, and the door is available. It's open. But number two, the door will 
close. It's not going to stay open forever. You know, doors are made to open and close, right? So if you see a door open, I guarantee you at some point in the future, that door will close for whatever reason. That's the purpose of a door. The door will close. He says, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now, as difficult as the door is to enter when it's open, and it's difficult to enter while it's open, which you wouldn't think because it's, it's open, but it's narrow. He says it will be impossible to open once it's closed. Impossible. No amount of strength, no bulldozer, no rocket, missile, dynamite can open this door once it's closed. That's what he says in verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. He won't open the door, but he'll answer you from the other side of the door. And he'll say, I do not know where you come from. Now, the irony is that the people who denied Jesus as their Lord in their life, at the time of Jesus, they call him Lord. Now, before, they didn't acknowledge him as Lord. But now that they're trying to get into heaven, the day of judgment, they're saying, Lord, Jesus, open to us. And Jesus says, uh, who? You want to know who you are? Right. You ever have somebody approach you, think you were one person, but you weren't? Had that before? Come up to you and, and say, hey, how are you? And you're like, I don't know who you are. <laughs> this is what Jesus is saying. Lord Jesus, I, you didn't, we don't know who you are. The door is closed, yet they knock. In their life, the door is open, but they wouldn't enter. But now the door is closed, and, and they're trying to get in, but it's too late. They recognize him as Lord, but that is too late as well. When I was a young child, I remember going to a Chick-fil-A. Remember when Chick-fil-A was mainly in the mall? Y'all remember those times? And uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but most Chick-fil-A's at the beginning were all in the malls. And Columbia had a couple there in some of their malls. And I was probably five, six years old or so, and I was just starting to Use, go, want to go to use the restroom like by myself. So I'd get up and go to the bathroom and, and just, I guess, get a break. You know, I was a hyper kid, so I didn't want to sit too long. So I went to the bathroom just to get up, walk around or something. And uh, so I was getting old enough to be independent enough to go to the bathroom. And, and, I, and I guess, I was thinking about the story. I guess I didn't wash my hands when I was done. Who knows if I even went to the bathroom. I just wanted to probably walk around. But I'd eaten the, the, you know, the chicken nuggets there at Chick-fil-A. And the, it was one of those older doors. They don't have this now at Chick-fil-A, but just like a little knob on it that you have to turn, you know. And I remember getting in, and the door was closed. It wasn't locked. And I, I tried to open the door, and, I, and it wouldn't open. My hands were so greasy with the chicken, it wouldn't open. And so as a five- or six-year-old, you don't quite understand. You think you're locked in, right? And so I, I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, it won't. And, and I'm, I'm like, my hands are slipping off the door, and I'm trying to open it, and it won't open it. And I start to panic. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, thinking to myself, I'm locked in here forever. Because, you know, I can't think. I'm a little child. And I can't get in, and, and I can't open the door. And so then I start banging on the door. Mom, Dad, you know, banging on the door. And this went on for, like, it seemed like a long time, but it probably wasn't that long. But then I heard a voice on the other side of the door. I'm like thinking, oh, gosh, I'm going to be saved, right? Someone's going to save me. And, uh, and, and then I heard somebody. It was one of the Chick-fil-A workers or something. And then they, 
They opened the door. They said, hold on, we'll get you out. And they opened the door, and there I was, you know, all crying and everything like that. So, you know, needless to say, I still don't use the restroom at Chick-fil-A, and no, I'm joking. So. <laughs> but I, now they have the things where you just kind of open the ledge. You don't have to use your fingers, which is kind of nice. But, but, but uh, you know, I, I, for a while, I did have a fear of kind of going to a restroom and, you know, locking the door or whatever for a while, you know. When I heard that voice on the other side of the door, we'll get you out one second. I was like, okay, great. But for those who deny the voice of Jesus, when they're knocking on the door, the voice will have the opposite result. Because the door is closed. And they had rejected Christ beforehand. And now it's too late. Jesus responded and they began to plead their case. He says, you will then say to me this. We ate. We drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. He says, we'll say, we, we know you. We remember seeing you. We, we ate with you. We, we, we drank with you. We, we remember when you were teaching. But just seeing Jesus, just being around Jesus, just hearing Jesus is not enough to be saved. You have to enter the open door. And even though they say they know Jesus, Jesus says he doesn't know them. He says, verse 27, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. See, Jesus only knows his sheep. The people chose not to enter the door of his pasture, even though they thought they were safe by association. See, coming to church doesn't save you. Just coming here doesn't save you. Just singing in the choir doesn't save you, even though we love our choir members. Just coming to Sunday school doesn't save you. Just because your parents were Christians doesn't save you. Just coming to Awana and learning memory verses and reciting scripture doesn't save you. Just because you know of Jesus, you talk about Jesus, just because you have some affiliation with a church or something like that won't save you. Just because you walk past the church won't save you. You're saved when you truly believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Belief. Look at Romans 10, 9 through 10. Paul says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, and only you know that. Someone the other day was talking to me about people who were saved or who weren't saved, and I said, you don't know that. Only, you can guess, but only they know. And only God knows what's in their heart. What's in their heart. He says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, but not just that, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. See, these on the other side of the door, they're saying Jesus is Lord, but they did not believe it. And the door is closed. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We are made right, justified, 
with God when we believe with all our heart that he raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus says in John 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come to judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, here's the thing about judgment. We all deserve it. Every person on the face of the earth has sinned, has broken God's law, has transgressed his law. We've done it knowingly and unknowingly. We all deserve the judgment because God is holy and just and loving. That's what makes him loving, the fact that he is just and holy. You can't have one without the other. Then you have an evil God without one without the other. A sense of fairness, justice, love, they're all two sides of the same coin. But even though we all deserve it, the beautiful thing about the gospel is if we hear God's word and believe it, we will not be judged for our sin. Christ was judged for our sin on the cross. Everything we deserved was poured out upon him. He took it all. That's the the goodness, the grace of God. We We were spiritually dead but are now spiritually alive. But he tells us in verse 28, for those who choose not to believe in Jesus, in that place there will be weeping, gnashing of teeth. And then these Jews, they'll see Abraham and they'll see Isaac and they'll see Jacob, he's telling them, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God that you yourselves cast out. So these religious people in this situation here specifically, he's saying, they believe that their ancestry would save them. And they'll be crying. They'll be frustrated and angry because they they see all the great men of God uh, who tried to lead them into the truth. They'll see Abraham who tried to lead them into the truth. they'll, They'll see Isaac who tried to lead them into the truth. They'll see Jacob and all the prophets that they rejected who tried to to show them the truth of the Messiah. They'll see all of them, but they won't be there because they didn't believe. So their sin was not atoned for. Not the answer this man asking Jesus was expecting. Jesus says, not you. Strive to enter the door or it should be knocking one day. You'll see all the prophets and the the forefathers. And you're going to be wondering what happened. Make your focus on the kingdom. The door to the kingdom is open, but there will be a day when it closes. Third, the dinner will be diverse. The door's open, it'll be closed, but what's behind the door? There's a dinner, and it's going to be diverse. The door is simply the entryway into the kingdom of God. But in the kingdom, there'll be a dinner. We know there'll be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation talks about this. But there'll be many dinners. It'll be wonderful. Do you really think God's going to have a place in heaven where we don't eat? I mean, one of our two ordinances is called the Lord's, not the Lord's snack, the Lord's Supper, not the Lord's coffee. It's, it, it's part of who we are as people, eating together. It's, it's, something, it's, it's something God has created for us. And he says, and people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. In the biblical world, when people ate together, they, they reclined on sofas and the floor. It was a very comfortable type of atmosphere. 
They, di they didn't sit proper with their, with their back straight, with the fork over here and the spoon over there and, and you know, follow the little rule book of how to have a nice supper. That's not how they did it in the biblical world. They laid around. Their moms would have called them sloths. Sit up straight when you eat. There was none of that. And he's saying that that's what they'll be doing. Now, displaying the kingdom as a dinner has two points. Again, I've said first that there will be dinners in heaven. But secondly, a dinner was this intimate experience. You know, watching someone eat can be an awkward experience uh, because that person is vulnerable. You know, this is why your mother told you to chew with your mouth closed. Because it's an awkward thing to watch somebody eat. I remember one of the first, I remember I had a first date with a girl one time. And we went to a Outback Steakhouse years ago and she ordered ribs. And, uh, and she had all her hands, all her face. That's all I could look at the whole time. It was just all over her hands and her face. And, and at one point she's like, what are you looking at? And she tried to reach across the table and touch my, my face with her hands. And I was just like, that's all I could look at. The point of that story is eating can be an awkward thing with people, right? It's an intimate thing. We usually eat with people we know well or we have common interests with, family, friends. That's why first dates are awkward, right? Because you don't know the person. We eat with people who are, have family or friends. It's a, it's a, you can just be yourself. You eat with people that make you feel at ease. And Jesus says that here that people will be eating will be from all parts of the world. This isn't what was expected. People from different cultures, people with different skin color, people who speak different languages, people from the north, believe it or not, even Ohio, right? <laughs> people from the north and the south and the east and the west, all over. And a typical self-righteous Jew could not fathom a world where they were left out of the kingdom and people were from all over the world were there instead. Because they were trying to enter the kingdom on their own accord, without Christ. So that's how the kingdom of heaven will be. It will be diverse. But not only will it be diverse, it will be surprising. Verse 30. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some who are first will be last. Jesus tell, tells a parable about this, actually. I'm going to read through it. Look at Luke chapter 16. Jesus says this. There's a rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, 
so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear God's word. He said, no, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. And we know that's not true because Jesus rose from the dead and people have still not repented. And he says in verse 31, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. There will be a surprise at who is at the dinner and who is not. The truth is that anyone can come to the door while it's open. All it takes is belief in your heart in Jesus Christ. But one day, the, door, the day will come where the door will close. And no amount of knocking or bargaining or arguing will let you in. We have a great opportunity as a church. There are people walking around our town, our community, everywhere. Don't even know a door is open to begin with. Let alone the fact that it's going to be closed. Who has God put in your life for you to tell about the open door? Heavenly Fathers, we close our time together today. We thank you for what you give us, Lord, in this life. And we, we pray that we would, be, we would feel responsibility for those you put in our lives who may not even know about this door, may not even know about the dinner. They may think they have an idea of what it takes for salvation. But maybe they've never been shown God's word. Lord, help us reach those you put in our lives. Or if there's one in here today that's never placed their faith in you, that they would do so today, that they would know that they have a place at the dinner table. And yes, this life will be difficult and the, and the, and the door is narrow, but they will enter it because of what you've done for us on the cross. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.